Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. So hopefully if you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 9, verse 30. We're going to close off in that last section in chapter 9, and we're going to go all the way through chapter 10. And so there's a lot to cover, so I'm going to try to breeze by this as quickly as I can. Also, the notes are available in our church app, so you can go ahead and get that, so you can follow along, write some notes in there. So once again, this is going to help you not only to understand it for today, but it's going to help you to process it uh, throughout the life group. And the more you talk about it, the more you think about it, the more better handle you're going to have on this portion of Scripture, which is very, very important as we talk about different things of uh, predestination. We talked about just this whole idea of righteousness by faith. We'll talk a little bit more about that. And so it's going to be important for you to be able to jot some of these things down. And let's let's learn together. And as I've been enjoying our time, especially my time in preparation for these sermons, I hope it will be an encouragement to you. I wanted to start off and ask a question. I'm wondering if there would ever be a time when you are not willing to share something with somebody. All right, let me, let me ask it again. I'm just wondering if you kind of think about your life, will there ever be a time when, for whatever reason, you're not really willing to share something with somebody? Now, before we get all the self-righteous answers that I'm a really generous person, I'm a giving person, what's mine is yours, yours is mine, before you go into all that, let me kind of give us some context so this will help us. The first thing is this. Um, let's just say there's an incredible deal on something that you really, 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 really wanted. I don't know how many reallys that is, but, but, but really wanted. But the thing is, there's only a limited amount of that thing. So the question now is, would you share with people that there is this incredible deal or sale, but there's only a limited amount? Would you broadcast it to the world? Would you tell all your good friends? And I would probably say many of us will be a little bit hesitant because we want it. And there might not be enough if we just start sharing it with everyone else and if it goes viral. Here's another context to think about. Uh, There's a possibility of winning something because you have entered in. You have to do some kind of entry. But the problem is that there are a small limited number of spots. So I could think of things like a scholarship that you have to apply for. Or maybe there's a position at work that you're applying for. But the thing is, would you share with people, hey, there's this incredible opportunity for you to win something for free. Uh, Would you then share it with them? And then knowing the probability will start to decrease with more people applying or entering into that sweepstakes or whatever it may be. And I think this is something that really helps to expose, I think, our hearts. Because if we're really honest, whenever there's a limited resource, whenever there are things that we might not be able to get, that only a few people can get, a lot of times we get very self-focused and selfish. And we don't want anyone else to have it except for us. Uh, I think the worst display of this is at a buffet where they have crabs. Now, some of you did not eat breakfast this morning, so you're probably getting hungry now, but I want you to think about this. I can't even see if you're raising your hand, but I'm wondering how many of you have been to those buffets where they actually have crabs? 
I mean, it's crazy stuff. If you've ever been to one or you've seen it, like you got to be waiting there just in line to be able to grab. Because as soon as they bring out all these crab legs, it's gone. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you are still lost because you've never been to a buffet and you don't like uh, seafood. So what I'm going to do for you right now is I'm going to show you uh, there's a news documentary where they were trying to figure out what is it about because there were some fights. And there were people who were actually injured during some of these buffet places where there's crabs. So this, this investigative journalistic people and then the news, the documentary, they decided, let's go check it out and interview the owners and talk to some of the people and find out why there's so much fighting over this crab. So I'm going to go ahead and show you this video. And like I said, it, it is the real deal. Now, those of you who have been to these kind of buffets with the crab legs, you're like, that's nothing. Like, oh, that, that, that was me. But I want you to see with the limited resource, let's see how they behave and how they react. So let's watch this together. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Limited resource, and we are doing everything possible to feed ourselves. I thought it was kind of interesting that it was the last restaurant was an Asian restaurant and they had to block out their faces, you know. Uh, We've been there. And it's amazing how once again, when there's limited resource, a lot of times it's really difficult for us to share. Now, I want you to think about this because I want to put it in the context of the gospel. The gospel's free. It's abundant. It is given to those that God has predestined, he has called And as we receive it, because we don't know who else is called, the question is this, why don't we share it? In fact, for many of us, we keep not only our faith, but we take what is so important to us, which is our relationship with Jesus Christ, and we do not share that with others. And so when we think about the unlimited opportunities that we have, to be able to share the gospel with so many people around us on a daily basis. The question I have for us is, why is it that we don't share the gospel? And I I think this is the reason why when we think about our calling in life, God is compelling us in such a way that we will be able to then think to ourselves, God, how, how how do I share this gospel to as many people as possible as long as I live? wherever and whenever I have that opportunity. I like what Theodore Epps said in his book, Strength for the Journey. He writes this, he says, God has given believers the responsibility of sharing the gospel to all the world, and we need to use all at our disposal to accomplish this task. What a great reminder for us that this is a task that God has given to us as we learn how to love God and to love people Part of it is learning how to fulfill that great commission of making disciples of all nations and going and share the gospel as often as we can to as many people as we can. So I want to talk about this aspect of the gospel and what should move us and motivate us to be able to share that as we have studied in this whole book and even in last week in chapter 9, that many of us, we have been called, predestined, so we have this free gift. We've experienced the joy of this walk with God. And so why is it that we don't share it with other people? Why why is it that we don't have 
a sense of urgency in our lives, especially when we know as we get humbled, we don't deserve this. There is nothing that we did to earn it, but God has given it to us freely, and that's why we want to worship Him and respond to Him in that way. So let me give us the one thing. The one thing is simply this, that we must be compelled with the gospel to be propelled to share the gospel. So once again, we must be compelled with the gospel to be propelled to share the gospel. So I want to talk about just being compelled by the Holy Spirit and then literally being thrusted out to be able to share the gospel message. We're going to just go ahead and jump into it as we talked about that we must be compelled with the gospel so that we can then be propelled to share the gospel. So I'm going to talk about two things that we've got to remember uh, regarding that. And the first thing is this, we got to understand and remember the uniqueness of the gospel. We have to remember the uniqueness of the gospel. If you remember in chapter 9, the Apostle Paul is arguing about God in his sovereignty, because he's fully in control of all things, that in his sovereignty, he had the prerogative to choose whom he decided to choose. Now, this is the part that we were asking, is this fair, that God can choose whomever he wants to save? And hopefully we've come to the conclusion, not only at last Sunday, but even in life group, that he does. Well, I always tell people, first of all, because he's so different from us. He could do whatever he wants to do. He's God. We're not God. He is. Another reason that I think about this is because there are many times when we looked at the different portions of Scripture throughout the history of the Israelite people, he could have killed all of them. But he just punished only 3,000. So he would have still been fair and just if he killed all of them, but he decided to save some. And even when we think about the story of the, the twins, uh, Esau and Jacob, and when we think about who God chooses to bless, we realize we're not in control. That's why if you are a Christ follower, there's no room for pride because there's nothing that you have done to earn the salvation or to earn God's favor or to merit the blessings of God. So when you think about out of all the millions of people, billions of people in this world, God decided to choose me. He predestined me. He called me. And he allowed me to experience this gospel message so I could understand it and see my need for Jesus Christ. And I put my faith and trust in him that I have now taken the the invitation to be a part of his kingdom because he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. When you think about that, you realize there is nothing that I did to be able to deserve that. That's why we should be humble. This is the reason why when there's pride, it's an affront to what God has done in our lives. So when we think about this, as he talks about that he has a prerogative to do whatever he wants to do, now what we see is that this amazing part of this gospel and why Christianity is so unique and so different from all the other religions Because as you have heard, and maybe some of you came out of a different religion, or you know other people in other religions, because it's all about works. It's about performance. But this is the reason why Christianity is so different, is that there's nothing you can do, and it's what God did for you. No other religion can claim that. That's why the gospel is so unique. Yes, it is similar in the sense we all pray. We might have some kind of holy writings, but and to do good, to love people. But when you think about just how to be even saved, it's not by performance. 
It's not about what you do, but it's what Christ has done for us. And so that's why as we talk about this uniqueness of the gospel, Paul begins to explain a couple things about the uniqueness of the gospel. The first thing is this, that it is a response in faith. The reason why this gospel is so unique, it is a response in faith to what Christ has already done. Let's go ahead and read Romans chapter 9, verse 30, all the way through verse 33, the end of this chapter. Listen to what it says. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. But the Israel, but that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So what you see here is very clear. This is important. He's, he's using that phrase again. What shall we say then? So what he's doing is as he's presenting the gospel, he's thinking about all the objections that people will say. So he goes, what shall we say then? And what he's trying to say, it's not, the righteousness is not by works, but it is by faith and faith alone. And the way he highlights this, this is important, is says, look at the Gentiles, the non-Jews, and then look at the Jews. And this is what he was arguing for. Here are these non-Jews who aren't even pursuing after righteousness. They didn't even know God. But then God gave them this righteousness that is by faith. And then here are these Jews who knew God and they were pursuing righteousness, but they weren't able to find it because they could not completely obey the law. So what he's arguing is just look, here are some people who didn't even know God, but God revealed himself to them and his righteousness by faith. Look at these Jewish people who are trying to be righteous by doing all these things, observing the law, but they fell short because they could not completely obey everything in the law to make themselves righteous. And so as he's sharing this, what we see is that he talks about this idea of those who are living by faith so they can obtain this righteousness. The only way you can do that is you have to acknowledge your inability, your inability to keep the law perfectly, to obey the law perfectly by their own efforts. And that's why it's all about trusting in God and it's by faith. Let me just pause here and just kind of put this before some of us, especially those of you who are more on the self-righteous or you grew up in the church. It's really interesting because you hear this gospel message over and over ever since you were a little kid. And somewhere along the line, it's, there's a syncretism where you mix in with this Asian culture where it's all about performance and work. You find your worth and your value in terms of how well you do things. So that carries over in your mindset into your Christian walk. And so what happens is this, is that you know what you ought to do and you know the things that you should not do growing up in the church. And sometimes there's a lot of don't do stuff. So the question I always challenge people who grew up in the church is, what do you do when you screw up? I think this is a very honest and genuine question that you need to ask yourself. What do you do when you have been performing and you're doing really well and things are going great 
and you look around and you judge everyone else because you put the standard upon yourself, that this is the standard, and you judge everyone around that standard. But what do you do when you mess up, when you sin? So you only have several options. Number one, you realize you're not that great. You humble yourself, you repent, and you realize that you need Jesus, not religion, but you need Jesus, and you turn to him. That's one. Another one is you continue to deceive yourself and believe that you could try harder and get better, which many of us know that that's not going really well. I mean, think about your life. There are things I'm not going to watch. There are things I'm not going to do. And you make promises to God, and then we keep on stumbling and falling. How's that going? And what that normally does is it's going to fuel your depression. I would not be surprised if you're not doing well spiritually. Because here you are on this performance track, and you will never be able to obey the law fully. And you have no other outlet to be able to relieve of that tension, because why? No matter how much you try to perform, you will always fall short. And I've seen a lot of people in the cycle of Christianity, a lot of them start deconstructing their faith, and a lot of them end up just walking away from God. And I'm sorry to say this, but some of you are right on the brink of that. Instead of humbling yourself and repenting and realizing everything that's going on, You've been completely deceived and you don't see how you are still trusting in yourself for salvation and for righteousness. Or the third option, which many of us fall into, is we know what we ought to do, what we should not do. And what we do is that we then live a hypocritical life. And how's that going for you? If you know anything about the imposter syndrome, the difficulty is when you're hanging out with your colleague or co-workers and you're hanging out with your friends that are not believers, you act totally different from how you would act if you were in life group or in church. So there is this discombobulation of your life and you don't know who you are and you struggle because your life is filled with hypocrisy. And so what begins to happen is that we forget that the gospel is so unique and different from all other religion, even the religion of yourself. Humanism is about trying harder and doing all these things. And this is the reason why Paul makes it very clear. The reason why the gospel is so unique is because it is a response to God in faith. That's it. And that's why he's trying to argue in this beginning section here. And then he goes a step further and he says, it is a righteousness by faith. So not only is it a response in faith, but it's a righteousness by faith. Let's go ahead and start reading from chapter 10 now. And we're going to read verse 1 through 4. Listen to what Paul says. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. 
Now, this is the part that I love, because if you remember earlier, last week, we talked about in chapter 9, in the first three verses, Paul says, I'd rather be cut off from salvation, like literally lose my salvation, if only my people, the people that I love, these people who don't know, if they could come to know Christ, then I'd rather lose salvation so they could know Christ. We see his heart again in the beginning phrases here. As he talks about this, what does he say? The first three verses of chapter 10, he says he has this desire and this longing and a prayer to see them saved. I thought it was interesting because if you look at verse 2 again, it says, for I bear them witness. The other ways to translate it is for I can testify about them. What is Paul trying to say? If many of you already know the life of Paul, he was a zealot. Like he was zealous for the things of God. He was trained under the, one of the best Hebrew scholars and teachers. He obeyed the law to the T. And so what he's trying to say is, I know where they're coming from because I've been there. The things that these people are struggling with is they're putting their faith in themselves and in their own righteousness, that they're trying to work hard. He goes, I've been there. I've been doing that for so many years. And I was good at it until I realized God appeared to me in in, in this vision, blinded me for three days. And he realized that he was killing and persecuting Christians. And God said, why are you persecuting me, Saul? So what he's saying is, I bear witness to them. I I know why they're doing what they're doing. I know why they're struggling with what they're struggling. Because he's saying, I've been there. Can I ask you this? Do you have a heart for people who don't know Jesus Christ? I would say those of you who, this is not 100%, but majority of you who grew up in the church, sometimes unless you really experience the gospel, you're not going to have a burden for the lost. And I've seen this time and time again. Once again, I'm not saying no one, but usually if you grew up in the church, sometimes you could lose that heart for evangelism, missions, and those who don't know Jesus Christ. Then who are the best people? Well, it's obvious. Those who did not know Christ and they had a powerful encounter And then now their heart is so filled with so much of Jesus, they want to share it with so many other people. See, that that, that was the situation for myself. Like I'm trying to wrap my mind around people who grew up in the church and it took me a long time because I couldn't fully understand why they couldn't see this or why they would do that. But then whenever I meet somebody who didn't grow up in the church, they're pre-Christians, hardcore, just like way out there, like I was able to relate to them because I know exactly what they're thinking. And so that's why I not only did I have a burden for them, but I was able to reach out to them better than I was with people who grew up in the church. Now, those of you who grew up in the church, can I speak to you for a little bit? Unless your heart has been ignited and completely transformed with the gospel message, Pretty much when you see other church people who come into our church, you know exactly what they're going through. You know exactly how they're thinking. It it, it was amazing because, uh, you know, when 
we started the church back in Michigan, uh, we had a lot of church people initially. And we started reaching out to other people who didn't know Christ. And so we saw a lot of salvations after the, the even just within the first five years. But in the beginning year, we had a lot of people who had a church background. And that's why it was really hard to kind of like break all that down and to try to build up on a firm foundation. But it was awesome because what happened was that some of these guys who came to our church early on, they were so proud. They thought that they were God's gift to the whole world. But, you know, they came across the gospel. They realized that they're not that great. Uh, their weaknesses and the things of their own sinful heart got exposed. So they realized, I need Jesus. When they fully trusted in Jesus, everything that they've learned over the years through Sunday school and Awana, I don't know what else you guys have, the Royal Rangers, all that good stuff, like everything that's up here started going down to their hearts and they were excited for Jesus. And you know what was so awesome? Because every year, because we're on a college campus, every year we'll get a bunch of first-year students. And it's the best. Because these guys who grew up in the church, they come to University of Michigan, and they're coming in, and they were ex-youth group presidents. They were like presidents of their youth group. They were worship leaders. So, So they were leaders of their youth group, and they were helping out. So you could totally tell. They come in here, they're like, okay, I've been here. You know, I've been there. I've done that. But then the guys who grew up in the church, they see them and they realize, I know exactly what they're thinking. I know exactly what they're going through. And guess who ministered to those groups of people better than me or anyone else? It was those people who went through the same thing. I want us to pause here for a second and ask, who are some people, just like Paul, that you see your heart breaks for? And I think if you cannot come up with something, that means you're not very reflective on your life. You're not thinking about your spiritual journey. You're not thinking about what God put you through or you've gone through and what he delivered you from. But Paul knew. That's why all throughout the New Testament, when he shares about his testimony, about his life, he knew very well the grace of God. Because he was a religious, zealous person who tried to love God, but everything was on by works and by his own effort. So he says, my heart breaks. I desire, I long for these Jewish people, my fellow brothers and sisters, that they will come to know Jesus Christ, that they will be saved. Do you have that kind of burden? And if we don't, then once again, we're not going to be compelled by this gospel. And we're not going to be launched out to go and share the gospel. Let's continue on and read verse 5 through 13. Listen to what it says. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The, world, the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. See, again, here's Paul using Old Testament passages to compare the righteousness that comes by obeying all the law, which is works, human effort, compared to this righteousness that comes by faith, that you cannot do it, only Jesus can, and so I put my trust in Jesus. I thought it was interesting, in particular, he quotes Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 11 through 14. Why is that significant? Because in this passage, it's about Moses warning the Israelite people who are about to enter into this land of Canaan, the the promised land. And what he's trying to warn them is, do not be disobedient to God's word. Because if you turn away from God and you turn to yourself, then what he's saying is that there will be consequences that will follow. You're going to miss out on the blessings of God. But if you turn to God When you enter into this promised land, you don't forget all his commandments. You follow him to love him. Then we see by faith that we'll see the blessings of God. Now, Moses reminded the people that they don't have to go to heaven. They don't have to cross the sea to find God's word because it is on their lips and on their hearts. Now, I think this is kind of important because this will help us to get to the next section as we talk about the uniqueness of the gospel. The message of righteousness by faith, Paul is saying that it is near or available to them. That's why he says you don't have to go to heaven, ascend, and or descend down to the abyss, to hell, so that Christ could be raised up. He says the word is here. It is near you. And that's why even John talked about that. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word is God. And then he has made his tabernacle or his dwelling amongst us. So the word of God, the very thing that we need to help illuminate the sinfulness of our hearts, to help us to see who Jesus is, it is near us. The point that you have to also note is this. Paul accentuates this mouth and the heart. You see it used several times in this passage. And the reason why this is important in this verse is because what is believed, listen to me carefully, what is believed is from the heart, and then what is expressed is through our mouth. So what he's simply saying is this. If you really believe in Jesus Christ, that he's the only means of righteousness and it's by faith, and you believe that, that's the work that God is doing in your heart. But then you will have to then profess it and confess that with your mouth. There is a lot of times when you say, I believe in something, but you don't declare it. You don't say it. So what he's saying is that if you really believe this in your heart and then you confess it or you profess it with your mouth, then it says you will be saved. So it involves a person's conviction and a person's confession. You believe it in your heart and you then confess it with your mouth. That's why the gospel is so unique. Because it gives us a righteousness that is by faith, that is unbiased, 
that is universal. That's why it says anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It is unbiased because as we call upon God, if you trust in Jesus Christ, then it says you will be saved. Whether you are a Jew or not, you will be saved. But pastor, didn't you share earlier that it's only those who are chosen? But I always challenge people who bring that up to me. But do you know who's chosen? Do you know who is saved? You don't. So therefore, we have the obligation and the responsibility to share it to as many people as possible. And those that God has chosen, that they will come to know Jesus Christ. But they must hear the gospel message. It is universal because it's for anybody that he has chosen. It is for anybody. For us to be able to say, it's not just an ethnicity, it's not because you have certain kind of talents, but it's anyone who would trust in Jesus Christ. That's why the last verse that Paul cites is from Joel chapter 2, verse 32, which shows that this gospel is available and accessible to anybody who will trust in him. How about us this morning? Do you believe in the gospel, that it's available and accessible for not just you, but for other people. Yes, you don't know who's saved or who's not. You don't know who's chosen and who's not. But do you have this faith that whoever God did choose, that this gospel is available and accessible to them? Are you absorbed with yourself and forget about the values of the kingdom of God? You know, I I think this is something that is so easy for us to kind of skip over because we think about ourselves. Do we have Paul's heart for people? That means you got to go back to your, your walk with God and think about the journey he put you through. If there's other people who are struggling with those things, your heart should break for them. Those of you who are no longer in college, if you remember, you were like a fool in, in, in university. Your heart should be breaking for some of these university students. If some of you came to know Jesus Christ during your college years, your heart should be broken for some of these college students who do not know Jesus Christ. And if some of you are college students and you experience God through whether it's different retreats or conferences that we had, and it was life group, then your heart should be breaking for some of these freshmen who might not have experienced the fullness of what God wants to do in their lives. Because we've been talking that how we must be compelled with the gospel so that we can be then propelled to share the gospel to the ends of this earth. I want to talk about the second thing. We talked about the uniqueness of the gospel because it's really not by works or what we do, and Paul makes it very clear. It's by faith, a righteousness that comes by faith, and it's about responding in faith. And as you begin to respond in faith, God does that work in your life. And then I want to talk about now the urgency of the gospel. Not only the uniqueness, but I want to talk about the urgency of the gospel. In this next section, the Apostle Paul is communicating that the Israelites cannot plead ignorance for its rejection of God's purpose and plan of salvation. That's pretty much the end of this chapter, what he's trying to argue for. Because the people turned away from God instead of God failing to be true to his word. Because even in chapter 9, they're like, well, then did God's word fail? No, it didn't fail. It's true. He has been 100% true and faithful to his word, then what's going on? Why is it that some of these people of the hardness of heart, they they have not turned themselves over to Christ? 
What he's going to argue here is because they have decided in their own pride and self-sufficiency that they're going to try to do this on their own. So as we talk about the urgency of the gospel, there are a couple of things that I want you to notice about this urgency. You have to understand that there must be an opportunity to respond. We have to see the opportunities that God is giving for people to respond. Not only some of you who are watching, but he's also giving people in this world opportunities to respond to him. Let's go ahead and read verse 14, chapter uh, 10, verse 14 through 17. This is what it says. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the Lord for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on his name. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's, I read that before. Let's, let's go ahead in verse 14 and uh, look at verse 14 through 17. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Now, let me, let me continue on in verse 15. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has not heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. See, what Paul is doing is that he is using this next section to kind of further explain the Joel chapter 2 passage about how everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But in order for people to experience salvation through the gospel and not by human works and righteousness by a human effort, they must have, they must be able to have the opportunity to hear the message. The Old Testament passage that Paul quotes in verse 15 is from Isaiah chapter 52 verse 7. And let me read it to you in the ESV. And I want you to notice the highlighted words. It says this, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who what? Come on, let's say this together. Publishes peace. Who brings good news of happiness. Who publishes salvation. Who says to Zion, your God reigns. What's happening is that the reason why people are going to be able to hear this message is because people who are the messengers that God has chosen, we are publishing, we are announcing, we are proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. And so what Paul is trying to help us to see is this. As we talk about the urgency of the gospel, we have to be able to see the different opportunities that we have to share this message. And this is the reason why some of us don't have the sense of urgency. Because we don't see the different opportunities that God is giving to us so that people can respond. When you, when you look at this, this passage in Isaiah that I just read, which is the, quoted by Paul, pretty much you need to understand this was the reference to the messengers of God that would announce the deliverance from the Babylonian cap to captivity. So here's Isaiah 
declaring this as a prophetic thing, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Because he's saying those people who hear the news about being set free from captivity in Babylon, they will take this message and they will walk or run and start declaring to other people, we are free. We're no longer prisoners or slaves here in Babylon. That's the imagery that the prophet Isaiah had, and that's the very verse that Paul uses to help declare that those who share the gospel message, and there's a sense of urgency, that they will be the ones, their feet are going to be beautiful because they have walked or they ran and they brought the good news of Jesus Christ. Can I ask us, what are, where are some places that God is sending you? that people will say, wow, beautiful are your feet, that you actually came all this way to share the greatest gift and the best news we could ever hear. Where is he sending you? I'm wondering if your life will be totally different if you woke up every single morning and you felt the strong conviction that God is actually sending you to your mission field. The reason why some of you do not Look forward to work. Some of us, you don't really have a sense of purpose when you're working. It says what you have failed to see is that that is your mission field. Because I cannot go there. I wish I could. And then I'll try to share the gospel with every single person on your floor. But you are there. That, that is your mission field that, that I cannot go to. And so every morning you wake up and say, I'm going to my mission field this morning and I'm going to be working, and this is the people that, God, you want me to reach out to. And here's an opportunity that you give me every single day. I'm wondering what would happen, not only to your spiritual life, but what would happen to your whole workplace. Say with those of you who are students, that you get up in the morning, and you see to yourself as I'm going to class, even though it's on Zoom, that this is my mission field. And I don't know if your professors want you to turn on the camera or not, but a lot of times you can tell a lot about a person just by looking at them. Some of them are just at a daze. And if you see this as your mission field, then you realize, I want to be able to, God, speak to me. Who are some people that you want me to be able to share the love of Christ, even though it's on a screen? Like, can you, can you imagine? No longer is it just going to school or class. You have a great sense of purpose you'll sense this urgency because there are people who don't know Jesus Christ and there are these opportunities that he's giving us so that they can respond. And then he's giving you an opportunity so you could respond because there's a sense of urgency to share the gospel. This is the reason why in verse 16, that responsibility to respond goes to the person who hears the good news so they will respond in obedience and faith. What I'm trying to say is this, there, is, there are many, many opportunities for you to be able to share the gospel. So it's never God's problem. It's us. Because we get so consumed with our lives that we, we, we reprioritize things that should not be prioritized. We put value on things that are not very valuable. And this is the reason why what he's saying is that the responsibility, if, you, if, if they don't hear it, then how will they ever respond to this gospel message? That's why we have to be able to share it. 
That's why even in verse 17, we notice that faith comes from what? Hearing God's word. Let me just pause here and make a comment on this. It is so critical that you give God's word to people. Now, there's a winsome way to do it, and there's a really bad way to do it. If you say, well, in Proverbs chapter 3, it says this, it's not going to fly. you got to be stealthy. And what I mean by that is, are you able to have a conversation and actually weave in God's word without even people knowing that you're doing that? I would say start off by praying. When you're in life group, when you're with other LCGs and people, start praying God's word without quoting a verse or quoting the passage. Pray it in. Make it part of your language. That's why many of us, when we think about spending time with people and making investments and sharing the gospel, it's because we don't give the word of God to people. The Bible tells us that it is what? Through God's word, by hearing the word, that they will come to believe. And so, yes, you can live like an exemplary life. But a lot of times they might, Buddhists do those things. Muslims do those things. So they won't even know if you are a Christian. That's why you got to speak God's word. Like I said, you, don't, you should not use Christian jargons. But if you know a truth of God, you know some kind of promises of God, to speak that into the person who will hear it. That's where the power is. Not only do we see the opportunity to respond, but we have to remember there's an openness to the gospel. There's opportunities, and there's an openness to the gospel as we talk about the sense of urgency. Let's finish off and read verse 18 through 21. It says this, But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses said, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who do not ask for me. But of Israel, he said, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. The rest of this passage in verse 18 through 21, as we just read, Paul is using all these Old Testament passages to remind the people the importance of being open to the gospel so that we will have no excuse. Look at verse 18 and 19 again. Paul is asking, haven't the Israelites heard? And don't they understand? What Paul is saying is, you did hear. You did understand it. But you're still not open to it because, once again, of your pride. I want to read verse 18 and 19 in the message translation so that you can have a fuller understanding of this as he's quoting some of these verses. Listen to what it says. But haven't there been plenty of opportunities for Israel to listen and understand what's going on? Plenty, I'd say. Preachers. Voices have gone around the world, their message to earth's seven seas. So the big question is, why didn't Israel understand that she had no corner on this message? Moses had it right when he predicted, 
when you see God reach out to those you consider your inferiors, outsiders, you'll become insanely jealous when you see God reach out to people you think are religiously stupid. You'll throw ten, temper tantrums. I think this is one of the best <laughs> kind of like explanation. Let, let me put it in, in, in our context. When you try to do all the right things, when you try to serve God, oh man, you are so good at soap, you don't miss a day. There are times when your name appears twice or three times because that group that you send it to, no one else is doing it. It's just your name. And you feel really good about that. And you, you, you serve. You try to live a pure and holy life. Then all of a sudden, there's somebody that's your friend or maybe someone that you know that's not really living this life for Christ. And they end up getting a job. But not you. They end up finding somebody, but not you. They end up getting that internship or that job that's related to that internship, but you don't. Can I ask you something? Do you throw a temper tantrum? Do you get really bothered and annoyed? Because here you are trying to live a a good life, and these people are not, but they're the ones who are getting blessed. What that shows you is that you are working on a righteousness by works paradigm. That somehow you deserve something because of all the righteous things that you are doing. And what Paul is saying is that is not the gospel. The gospel is every single one of us have fallen short of the glory of God that he was arguing for earlier in the book of Romans. That none of us are righteous. We've all fallen short, whether you are Jew or Gentile. But it is by God's grace and whom he decides to bless and whom he decides to work on, whatever it may be, you're saying, God, I don't deserve anything. So if you choose to bless that person, you choose to work on that person, I'm completely content and I worship you. Because if you don't, what we see here is that you are going to then what? Feel this anger because why? You're going to get jealous because here are other people who are getting something that you feel like is rightfully yours. So in essence, Paul is saying that the Israelite people have heard the word of of Christ. And they have known about God's plan of salvation through the preaching of the gospel. This is the reason we got to check our hearts and see if there is an openness to the gospel in our lives and also with other people. Let me just pause here and before I close out, if you look at verse 20 and 21, Paul talks about how the Gentiles are open. While the Jewish people have been living disobedient and hardened their hearts because they're throwing temper tantrums. They're like, why do they get this? And I don't. What Paul wanted these people who are hearing this who are Jewish, what he wanted them to understand is this has been God's plan all along. That by me choosing you, the Israelite people, you are going to be a light to the nations. That was the plan. You were not chosen just for yourself so you could enjoy that, oh, I'm going to go to heaven. But it was so that you can then go take this message and be a light to the nations and light to the Gentiles so that all those other people who have not heard or they don't understand all the covenant and all the laws and all the blessings that he gave to the Israelite people, 
he wanted us to then declare that to the rest of the world. This is the reason why every single one of us, as you're hearing my voice, there has to be a sense of urgency. Because number one, we don't know how long we're going to live. Number two, we don't know how many opportunities that we're going to have with some of those people that you might want to try to build a relationship with. Because we don't know how long they're going to live. Some of you have family members who are not believers. And it saddens me that some of you do not have the sense of urgency that it causes you to pray, causes you to do whatever you can outside of you controlling situations that you pray and that you do the best that you can to be able to be a witness for Jesus Christ. Because you're, you're not compelled by this gospel. It's not transforming you because it's still about works. You're just like the Israelite people. And this is the reason why Paul is trying to knock some sense into them and say you were chosen by God because there's a purpose so that you could be a blessing to the rest of the world. Why in the world did he allow you to come to know Jesus Christ, whether the first time in our church or even as you came to our church, you begin to awaken to the things of God? Why is it that you actually came to our church and not so many other churches, that are great churches that are in Hong Kong? Why is it that you are in that life group with that leader or with that older brother or sister who's helping you in your walk with God? Maybe possibly he's doing that so that you can understand that the uniqueness of this gospel, that it's not about you, it is not about what you do or what you don't do, it's about what has been done because of Christ living this perfect life that you and I could not live, and he died on the cross for our sins so that we can be redeemed and we can be restored to the things that God intended from the beginning of time. Not only that, but as we think about this uniqueness of the gospel, we realize now as I have this, there has to be a sense of urgency that I want to be able to share it because there's so many opportunities on a given day. There are so many opportunities. Not only with strangers, but also with people in your workplace and in your school. I always tell people this. If you're that afraid to share with some of your colleagues and family members and your friends, then share with strangers. If you still will not share with strangers, then I would question if you really understand the gospel. Because at least when you share it with strangers, they can hate you, but you'll never see them again. So that at least your heart is still there because it's understandable why it's harder to share with family. It's understandable why it's harder to share with co-workers because once you get labeled as that Christian, no one wants to talk to you. So it's understandable why some of your friends, you're not wanna, you don't want to share with them because then they're going to see you a different way. I, that part I can understand. But then at least share it with strangers that you might never see again and you don't have to be facing all that ridicule or whatever it is that you struggle with, you don't want to share with people you know. But what I'm trying to challenge us is this. Do you have that kind of heart? I'm still working through trying to share with my parents. I'm still working through sharing with my colleagues at work. I'm still struggling with trying to share with my friends. But I have a burning heart for the gospel because there's a sense of urgency of people who don't know Christ. So I'm going to go ahead and share it with people that I just meet and I'll never see them again, but I want to be able to share it. That makes sense. I will go take it a step further and say, think about what you're really saying. 
You're willing to share it with strangers that you do not really know and you might not really love. But then their family members and people who are your close friends, will, if they were to die in a car accident tonight, they will spend a Christless eternity. You will never see them again. And if that doesn't move your heart, then something's wrong with our hearts. We need God to infuse us with this kind of understanding of the gospel. That it will so compel us, move us, convict us, that then we will then be propelled outward to say, God, with a sense of urgency and realizing I have this incredible treasure that is so unique compared to anything else in this world, I want to be able to share this with as many people as possible. And look at Paul's life. He went to the ends of the earth of back then what it was known to the ends of the earth. He went all the way to Rome and some of the surrounding areas to preach the gospel because he was thoroughly convinced. I'm wondering where we are. Do you have the sense of urgency of the gospel? Who are some people that you're able to recognize that they're open? This is a great time. I'm not going to be afraid. I'm going to trust in God and I'm going to share the gospel. I'm wondering how many opportunities that God is constantly giving us and he's waiting for us to be able to respond. That's why the one thing, once again, is that we must be compelled with the gospel to be propelled to share the gospel. I'm going to quickly give us just some things to think through. Um, the first thing is this. Is intercede for pre-Christians in your life. You will never grow a love for people unless you pray. I want to challenge us to maybe even put down several names. It's somewhere in your phone, somewhere, just somewhere. And I know some people, they like to put pictures of their family because some of them are not believers. So every single time they check their phone, they see their family members and they're reminded to pray for them. Intercede, pray, and ask God, Lord, give me the opportunity. Help me to be sensitive to the openness. And I'm telling you right now, if there's ever an openness to the gospel message, it's right now. I mean, just think about some of us who are believers when we, we say we have this hope. And we're even struggling through this whole pandemic. How much more those who don't have any hope and who are isolated. So what I'm trying to say is this. If you cannot do it during these perilous times, these extraordinary times, you're not going to be doing it when things are easier. That's what I'm trying to say. So it's better to confess, to say, God, I just don't love people. I don't, I, don't, I don't love the gospel. I don't love your plan. I love my life. It's all about me. I'm self-centered. I'm, I, I'm cool with that. At least you're humble to admit that. What's worse is when you have these Christians who use all these Christian languages. Well, yeah, well, I'm going to try to love God through this way. And it's all, it's all BS. Can I say that in service? Sorry, it's, it's, it's a, a hot air. BS means big statement. You know, it, it's, just, it's just hot air. Hot air. 
You can spot those people out. They talk really good. But you look at their life, you're like, no, something's not right. Stop talking. Stop trying to present yourself a certain way. It's better to be authentic and vulnerable and honest and to simply boast in your weakness and simply say, I don't love people, but I want to. I don't treasure the gospel, but I want to. But I'm not right now. Can you pray for me? Start interceding for some of the pre-Christians in your life. Start with your family. Start with some of your friends, some of your colleagues, some of your roommates, whoever they may be. Dedicate yourself in the days to come, weeks to come, months to come, and the years to come until they come to know Jesus Christ. Some of you are wondering, God, I've tried to live a good life. I've tried to share with them about Jesus Christ. And then I say, stop, stop, stop. Can I ask you something? Did you ever pray for them? They go, oh, I forgot. So my thing to you is, you could do all the Christian stuff and try to be a good witness. But if you have not committed yourself to interceding and praying, then it's you trying to be a good witness, you trying to perform and trying to do something, which you're going to fall short because they'll find something hypocritical about you. They'll find something that's wrong with you. But when you begin to pray, then you're saying, God, you take over. You work in their hearts. You soften their hearts. You open up their hearts. You give the opportunity for them to know you. So start interceding for pre-Christians. The second thing is this. Initiate conversations. They're not going to be able to hear the gospel message unless you start initiating conversations. Now, I don't want you to go talk to stranger danger. You know, I, I don't want you guys to talk to weird people and they follow you and they do all this stuff and stalking, then it's going to be a big problem. But there are people in your life that God has sovereignly placed because you either have a relationship with them, uh, they're your coworkers, they're people that you know fairly well. Initiate conversations. It's not that hard. I, I, I know for some of you, it is frightening. So you know what? I'm going to give you a practical tip. This is not even six skills. I'm going to give you one skill. When you get up in the morning, I want you to talk to yourself in the mirror. Hi. Hi. Like literally talk to yourself. Because what you're doing is you're framing your mind. And as you're looking at yourself, you're imagining that there's another person on the other side. And as you begin to have conversations, now be careful because if your roommate hears you, they might think that you're going a little bit crazy. But, you know, say it's biblical because it says, you know, oh, my soul, why are you so downcast? So, you know, even righteous people, they talk to themselves. But what I would say is look in the mirror and talk to yourself. Develop that skill, that confidence to be able to talk to people. The third thing is this, is invite one person to Easter. I hope you feel the sense of urgency. I hope you see the uniqueness of the gospel compared to anything else in this world. Once again, if there's ever a time we can reach a lot of people in the city, it is through this Easter than any other Easter. Praise God, last year, if you're with us, we, we, we had it at the convention center in Wan Chai. Everyone's like, whoa. I was like, whoa, as we're going up the escalator. But how many people did we reach? I don't know, several hundred? Because we had like COVID restrictions. But think about this for a moment. I, I, I want you to think through this for a moment. When you invite someone to Easter, 
because this time it's going to be online because it's mandatory all across the board. I don't know. They might switch it, but, you know, we're ready to pivot. But it's going to be online. They don't even have to turn on their camera. They could wear their glasses, but pajamas, but they could just watch and listen. Can you imagine how many people we could reach? That's why I want to encourage us, like never before, I believe we're going to be able to reach more than several hundred. We could reach a lot of people. If every single one of you start initiating the conversation and you invite them to the greatest moment in history, which is Jesus Christ resurrecting from the dead, which is the crux of our faith. You will be surprised at how many people will be open because they're already alone, they're struggling, and now they're open like never before to even Christianity and community. The reason why we're not able to do this is because we're just thinking about all these reasons why it's not going to work. You're trusting in yourself. Pray and let God give you the faith that you need to start inviting some of these people. And if you cannot talk a good talk to help them, to convince them, inspire them, tell them to go to our website or our social media, all these cool things. And then they'll be like, wow, we've never seen this in a church. So go ahead and do that. And lastly, will you inspire people around you? What I mean by that is this. I think for some of us, Every single time we talk or we hang out, all you do is talk about yourself. And I'm telling you right now, the reason why maybe some of you don't have too many friends and the reason why some people just kind of dismiss you is all you do is talk about yourself. No one wants to hear everything about you. When you inspire people, you're talking about things that are outside of yourself. You talk about God in such a way that he is so knowable. He is someone who is intimate that you can walk with and you can experience. Inspire them with things that are beyond yourself and maybe seeing things that they have never seen before. So as you initiate conversations, as you're interceding for some of these people, and as you're interacting with them, that there will be great moments of inspiration. I'm going to close with this really quick video. It's a couple-minute video. And in this video, some of you might know the Samaritan Purse, which is a ministry that's started by Franklin Graham. And they go to all these different places, humanitarian organization. They go to all these different places. One, of, one thing that they're really known for is their operation, a shoebox, where they give, put gifts in there and they give it out to all these different communities around the world and share the gospel message. People have come to know Jesus Christ by the hundreds and thousands, hundreds of thousands. But in this quick video, he shares about the urgency of the gospel and how we got to share this to go to the ends of this earth. And as we share this, because this is our hope, this is, this is what we believe in, that God can then use us because we have been chosen by God. We don't deserve it, but we've been chosen by God and with this comes privilege and honor. And we just say, God, we're undeserving. We're grateful. And because this gospel is so unique and we feel this sense of urgency as we are compelled by this message that propel us out 
Send us to all the different places around Hong Kong, all over the world, so that we share the good news of Jesus Christ to the ends of this earth. So I just want you to watch this, and then we'll come back together, and then we'll close out here. Let me pray for us, and we'll close here. Lord, I just pray for every single one of us as we heard your word today. God, may this gospel message compel us so deeply because we are convicted about it. We believe in it by faith. It's nothing that we have done to earn it. And sometimes we don't fully understand it. But all we know is that you have done something that we could not do for ourselves, which is to live the perfect life and even die on the cross for our sins so that we can be forgiven, we can be restored, we can be redeemed. And I pray that as we understand this gospel message more, that you will propel us out into the world, into our mission field, wherever that may be. And God, with the sense of urgency and understanding the uniqueness of this gospel, that we will share it with clarity, we will share it with conviction, we'll share it, Lord God, in a way that people can understand as we contextualize it to the different people that we're interacting with. Oh, Holy Spirit, as we look ahead with only a couple weeks away, two and a half weeks for Easter, we pray, Lord, that you will prepare us and get us ready to be able to invite and to share the love of Jesus Christ. Use these times that are difficult and hard. And when people are alone and are struggling, that they will be able to see, Lord, that there is a God who is thinking about them, a God who cares about them, a God who loves them. Lord, I pray that you will move our hearts, convict us deeply so that we can obey you. Thank you once again for choosing us. Thank you once again for calling us, predestining us. And that's why we can have what we have in this relationship with you. So Lord, make, make us humble and keep us humble. And we will give you the glory and the honor in all that we do. So we thank you. We give you all the praise. And it's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.